have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 3. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. I'm not going to preach that. But when she was saying that, God began to speak to me. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift directions. We're still talking about the goodness of God. But I'm going to shift directions. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, and fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, we're going to skip past Peter's, Peter's sermon. And we're going to go down, let's see, to the end of... See, I told you God changed my message because i got to find where it's at. To chapter 4, verse 13. Now what's happened is Peter's preached a message and then Peter and John get arrested for preaching in the name of Jesus. And this is the, the trial. Now Peter has already given his response. Whether it's better to listen to God or to you, you judge. So they've said, we're not stopping. Now here's what happened. Now when they, the council had saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. You get with Jesus, it's going to put a mark on you. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Now, I want to, I want to, I've got a point here that God wants me to preach. But before we do that, I want to share something with you. Something that just absolutely blew my mind. Verse 16. The council. What shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle 
has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Do you get the picture of what's happening here? These religious men are sitting here and saying, hey, they just did a miracle. They just caused a man that was lame from his mother's womb, a man that was lame, to rise up and not just limp, but to walk, run, leap, shout, dance. And it's not just a little side skirt miracle. It's not a, hey, we've done 300 miracles and we put them on our website, but there's no confirmation of this. It's not a, my ministry has seen 2 million people heal. It's not none of that nonsense that nobody believes anyway. It's a notable miracle has been done. Everybody knew this man before it was done. They can verify it by his actions now that it was done. And we can't even deny it. But, so that it doesn't spread any further, let's threaten it. You know what I've found is a problem in Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity? And Christianity as a whole. And let me say not Christianity, Christendom. Let me, let me, let me specify, in religion, in church, you know what a prob- is a big problem? Does anybody know how Pentecost started? Scriptural account, right? Upper room, one accord, praying, God moved. It's just awesome chaos. They thought they were drunk because it was so chaotic and awesome. What about the modern reassertion of the power of Pentecost? And I'm talking about from, you know, Charles Parham and Kansas and Shearer Schoolhouse and Azusa Street. I mean, you have all of these revivals break out almost simultaneously and people begin to speak in tongues again. And people begin to see the move of the Holy Ghost again. Not that it was ever absent, but it was never done on a large scale since the time of the apostles because people had suppressed it and pushed it down. And you could follow this throughout church history. But you know what happens? We like to put our fingers on it. We like to put our fingers on it. You know what I mean? Like God's doing something. We like to, well, it doesn't look good sitting that way, so let's. I was reading, uh, I won't say what denomination it is, but I was reading a thing about a denomination. A friend of ours had asked me to look into this particular denomination, and they traced their roots to uh, Azusa Street. They traced their roots to Azusa Street. But you know what? They forbid anyone to speak in tongues in their churches. How do you even say Azusa Street without tongues coming out? I mean, that's what Azusa Street is known for, is the Holy Ghost falling and people speaking in tongues. All kinds. Tongues with interpretation. Tongues as a foreign language. Tongues as a prayer language. That wasn't the main deal. The main deal was seeing God and winning souls, but tongues was inevitably and indivisibly linked to Azusa Street. But you link yourself to Azusa Street, but you don't believe in speaking in tongues. 
we like to put our hands on it. And what I found is I'm not talking about my denomination or any just one denomination in particular. I'm just talking about what I've found in church in particular. Is we forget the Pentecost of our group for the sake of preserving the system or the institution. We forget how we started. We forget what's in it. We forget the power and we work on preserving the system. And these council members are so caught up in preserving their system that they refuse to believe that God is doing a new thing. My God is a God of a new thing. Everything He does is a new thing. He's the only one from which a new thing can come. Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. The New Testament, get in the sun and all things are made new. My God is the God of the new thing. He is the God of the new thing. But because they are so caught up in the old thing, in the system, and preserving the system, they refuse to see the possibility that maybe God is doing a new thing. They refuse. A notable miracle has been done. It's evident. We can't deny it. Nobody can deny it. Everybody in Jerusalem knows that God's doing something. Nicodemus, when he goes to Jesus, he says, everybody knows that you're from God because nobody can do what you do except God be with him. This isn't about whether or not God's in it. This is about whether or not it infringes upon our system or not. And so what we do is we forget about the power and the Pentecost and the presence because we're so concerned about whether or not this will infringe upon our system. We were listening to a song the other day and the guy's like, take my money, throw it away. Because all I want is you, Jesus. All I want is you, your presence. And it breaks my heart because I'm ask, I ask myself sometimes, do we even live like that anymore? And it's like, God, I want you, but as long as I can drive to my church, and I don't know what guy, car you guys drive, so I'm not talking about anybody, but as long as I drive to church in my new Lexus, I want to go, uh, when I get there and I sit in my comfortable seat, I want to, uh, all I want is you. <laughs> when I leave my $500,000 home <laughs> with my wonderful central heat and air and I get in my new Lexus and I drive to my nice comfy church and I hear my nice cozy preaching, all I want is you, Jesus. <laughs> they wanted to preserve their system. Yeah, I want God. Mm, but I want to preserve my system. So how do I shut this down and shut this up? Because I can't control this. I can't control this. Let's, let's move from, from that. How about this? How about I just share with you what That's exactly what I'm, I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to think of how to, how to word it. If we, can't, if we can't remember who we are and be willing to let everything else go, we're never going to have it. We're never going to have it. And I'm sick and tired of all these people telling you 
the three ways to walk in the power of Pentecost when I don't see them walking in it themselves. I'm so sick of that. I'm so, I'm so sick of people saying, well, this is how you cast out devils. And I'm like, Where are you? where's the last devil you cast out? Point me to the man or the woman. This is how you raise the dead. Where's the last person you raised from the dead? Show me their death certificate and introduce me to them. This is how you heal the sick. Where are they at? Where are they at? Look, I've seen some great things. I've seen some great things, and I've seen doctors' reports to go with it, but it's minuscule compared to what I read. And I am sick and tired of people saying, this is how you do it, this is the steps to get there. When you're not doing it, you want me to follow you? Start doing it. Stop saying this is how you do it and coming up with good messages. Ooh, they'll love this. This sounds good. You know how tempting that is as a preacher? To preach something that you don't live in, that you don't walk out, that you may not even halfway believe, but it sounds good and it fits in a three-point sermon, and you know that it's going to get people riled up. Ooh, here's a funny joke. I'll put insert it right here. <laughs> they'll laugh at it if I smile. When are we going to see it? Do you guys ever just get frustrated? Do you ever just get frustrated? Like, where is it at, God? Where is it at? I said this before about God talking. Everybody's saying, God said this, God said that, God said this. Well, if he is talking to you, fantastic. But if he's not, why would he when you're saying he's saying stuff he isn't saying? And if we're saying he's doing all these miracles and he's not doing them, but we're faking it till we make it, do you want to know how sick and tired I get of these people that go out and test televangelists and some of these people that have these mega churches? There have been people, I'll use this name, I'll use this name because it breaks my heart. There is a man named Justin Peters, you can look him up, Justin Peters. And he has a disability. And you know what his life ministry is right now? It's defrauding fake Pentecostals. Because when he went to a Catherine Kuhlman revival and he stood in line for her to pray over him. I'm not, I don't have anything against Catherine Kuhlman, so don't read into this. He stood in line and you know what? Two men came up to him and asked him to get out of the line. Because they wanted, they didn't want somebody to be prayed over and not be healed. So they asked him to get out of the line. You know how often that happens? Or people will have a room in the back. And this is serious. They'll have a big church and people will look at the list of people that registered and they'll say, this man sitting in the third row, two seats from the left, he has a um, lung cancer. And he's been to this doctor, and he's had it for this many years diagnosed. And Joe Biden here, bud, hey you, God just spoke to me and told me. Why would God show up? If I was God, I'd spit people out of my mouth too. And I'm not trying to be mean, but I'm just sitting here asking, why do we keep faking it? Where are the real apostles at? Where are the real prophets at? There's a guy and said, 
God told me that so-and-so was going, that Trump, here's a recent one, that Trump was going to be the, the president again. Not maybe 2024, I'm not talking about that. God, he's going to get a successive term. He's going to beat Biden in 2020. You know what he says when he was proven wrong? I bet you guys have heard this from different people before. He says, well, in the prophetic, when a word is given, it's our responsibility to grab it and to pray it into fruition. (laughs) That sounds like a really cheesy excuse to say that you said God said when God didn't say. And if you own it and say, well, I misheard, then nobody is going to buy any stock in your prophetic ministry anymore. I get so sick of it. It's so frustrating. I'm not trying to be like, whoa, 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 woe is them, woe is them, woe is them. But I'm like, quit faking it. No wonder people laugh at Pentecostals half the time because we're out here doing a goofy dance and there's no power. I'm just trying to manifest my miracle. I don't see Jesus say, hop on your foot three times and spin in a circle and it's going to be given. I see him lay his hands on somebody and... That's power. Where's ours at? I see Elijah saying, it ain't going to rain on the earth till God, I say so. Not till God says it, till I say so. Three and a half years, not a single drop of rain. Where's it at? Where's it at? Oh, I know that there's bouts of it all over the earth. But why is it not the norm? Why is it in Africa where they're stepping up face to face with witch doctors? Why, why is the power there but we come to American Christianity and it's just dead? I read testimonies, people having bo- uh, doctor's reports. You know, Smith Wigglesworth, I I reference him a lot. You know, his pedigree, pedigree, 200, 200 death certificates. And they're walking around holding them. 200. But you know what he did? He wouldn't go 15 minutes without talking to Jesus. He woke up in the morning and people wanted to have a conversation with him. He said, ah, let's see what the Father says first. Car ride, 30 minutes. He panics, screams, pull over, pull over, pull over. And the guy pulls over like in a panic and he says, Lord, I'm sorry that I have went almost an hour without talking to you. but we're concerned about the preservation of our system. Her word was, just because you can do it don't mean you should. Our system says, if you can do it, I'm plugging you into that spot because it keeps the the church pretty. Look how beautiful she is. Don't make her embarrassed. Look how beautiful she is. Wouldn't the church look a lot prettier if she was standing right here? La, 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 la. It'd look a lot prettier. Then nobody up here and everybody staring at screens awkwardly waiting for somebody to get a move of the spirit. 
Like somebody waiting to, to get a little dance in their step. It'd look a whole lot prettier if she's up here singing. But we have to be retrained how to worship because we forgot to worship at home. The church looks pretty when I'm in my suit, my rosebud tie. I mean, it's very, very fancy. Yes, I tie it myself. Looks pretty. Looks pretty. Is this all there is? Is this all there is? Jesus was messy. Jesus broke the institution. I mean broke the institution. That's why he says, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. Because <laughs> I'm cutting this thing down to size. And these men, oh, Jesus did a miracle. That means he's alive. Right? Because a dead man don't do miracles. A dead Christ don't, don't heal anybody. A dead Christ don't raise the dead. No, he's alive. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. He's alive. So now he, if he was making mess before he died, now that he raised from the dead and they can't touch him, now he's really going to make a mess. And they're worried about the preservation of their system. So we have our little services. We get upset because we don't have a, a night service on Christmas Eve. Or we have our little services and we get upset because we don't have a worship leader. Look, these are all okay reasons. I'm not telling you don't get upset or frustrated because you like what you like. And when your preferences are, are infringed upon, it is upsetting. It's frustrating. It is for me too. But we, we get upset about these things. And we, we, without realizing it, the devil has just walked us right over into the preservation of our system and right out of the power. Because you can't have it both ways. We can't be focused on preserving our church and walking in Pentecost power. I, I truly believe, and this isn't me saying, this is how you get there. This is me saying, I believe. Because what I see is reckless abandon. That's what I see. Reckless abandon. From every single person in this Bible that walks in any level of power, one common denominator. Because I'm going to tell you, Elijah wasn't a whole lot like John. And John wasn't a whole lot like Peter. And Peter wasn't a whole lot like Paul. And Paul wasn't a whole lot like Jesus. And their mannerism and their presentation. Obviously he was imitating Christ and Christ being formed in him. Don't try to get all theologically proper and be like, well the Bible says. Like, you know what? Anyway. <laughs> their personalities were different. The way that they conducted ministry was different. The way that they presented themselves was different. So it wasn't that they were all following this 10-step program to power. But the one thing that I see is that they had reckless abandon for God. Take my money, throw it away. Take my life, here it is. <laughs> oh, you, you have the authority to kill me. You just crucified my Lord. Let me tell you something. I'm still I don't need your system. I don't need your approval. I don't need you to like me. I don't need to be popular. Because if I'm worried about that, Paul tells me, he has a good scripture for this, a good scripture verse. You ready for it? He says, I think it's like Galatians 1.11 maybe, but he says this, he says, if I should still seek to please people, I shouldn't be a servant of Jesus. 
do I still seek to please people or God? Because if I still sought to please people, I should not be a servant of Christ. It was verse 10. I was close. What's it about? Is it about it being pretty? Is it about the preservation of the system? Or is it about the power of the Spirit of God moving in us? Now, if you go down a little bit further, if you go down just a little bit further, down to the very last verse, second to last verse, 21, Acts 4, 21, then we'll get to the last verse. The last verse is the verse I've been trying to get to ever since I opened my mouth and came up here, but verse 21 first. They found no way of punishing them because of the people, since the people all glorified God for what had been done. Do you see this? Their intention, their intention, the council of religious leaders, their intention is to manipulate the people. That's their intention. They are so concerned about the preservation of their system, they are willing to not just suppress a miracle, They can't deny it. They can't disprove it. It's not just about suppressing the miracle. They're trying to figure out how in the world do we cut this out and manipulate this entire group of people. That's what religion does. We don't have the power. How can we manipulate this entire group of people into believing that we do? How do we manipulate this entire group of people into believing that we have the power? And you know what I've realized? What I have to realize. If God can heal every person but doesn't, there must be a reason for it. If Jesus, when he was there, walked up and healed the one man at the pool of Bethesda and left everybody else. There must be a reason for it. This man, it says, verse 22, it says, he was over 40 years old. 40 years. And if you go back to the beginning of 3, a certain man lame from his mother's womb, so lame for 40 years, was carried, they laid him daily, every day, at the gate of the temple beautiful. This is immediately following the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had a three and a half year ministry, of which at least one year of that, and at various points in time through that three and a half year ministry, was in Jerusalem. How many times did Jesus walk past this lame man? How many times? I can't even begin to imagine what went on in the heart of Jesus. But I picture it kind of like this. I picture Jesus walking past this man and looking over. And I picture the compassion in Jesus' heart motivating him to lay hands on that man and see him healed. Because God does not want you to suffer. God is a good God. God loves you and desires your peace and your wholeness. Sin and disease are not of God. He allows them because we chose them, but they are not of God. There will be no sin, disease, sickness in heaven. God does not want you to live like that. 
and suffer. So compassion is motivating him. But he knows. Because he's truly God, he knows. I can't yet. I can't yet. I want to heal you. But I can't yet. Can you hold on? I mean, I just picture this going on in the heart and mind of Jesus. Hold on just a little bit longer. Oh, it's coming. Your healing is coming. And when you see what's going to be accomplished by this miracle, you are going to rejoice and shout and dance and scream, and you are going to be the happiest person on earth in that moment. But it's not time yet. And I can almost see Jesus just knowing what I know about him. I can almost see tears in his eyes as he looks at this man saying, I can't heal you yet because I have to wait so that these two of these 12 men behind me can. I want to. I want to see you healed. I want to see you brought through this. I want to see that wholeness and that joy overflood you. I want to dance with you. I want to sing with you. I want to shout with you, but I can't. And I am willing to let it go just a little bit longer because I know what's going to come out of this. An entire city is going to be flipped upside down because of what God's going to do in you in just a couple years. Can you just hold on a little bit longer? And I have to believe I have to believe that if God is willing to do that for this man so that Jerusalem can be flipped upside down and the glory of God can descend upon a city and lead to 5,000 and then 3,000 saved and then the masses being saved so much so that they have to initiate persecution to get them out because of one miracle where it initiates. If that is going to take place and Jesus withholds a miracle so that that can take place, then I have to believe that this season of deadness that the church has been going through, this lack of power, this so concerned about looks and appearance and about systems and about money and about buildings and about what people think of us and whether or not we're politically correct and how we preach and what we preach and what shoes you have on. No wonder God doesn't have miracles going in that. First of all, If I was God, I wouldn't. I'm not going to let you represent me in that way and then bless it. But if there's another reason, other than just we're missing it completely, if there's another reason, then I have to believe that it's God has been withholding these things for a season so that when the advent and the release comes back, it's going to do something similar to what it did here. And it's going to flip cities upside down. And it's going to lead to not just 10, a person converted here, and, oh, you've got one person saved, and you've got one person saved, and, you know, you're 10%. You're a conversion community. That's what, that's what they say. If you have a church to diagnose a healthy church, we were talking about this before church, so this is fine. We'll, we'll, we'll say this. Do you know how to mark the sign of a healthy church? As far as conversion. Because people always ask that. How many people got saved? How many people got baptized? Do you want to know how you know? 10%. So if you have a church of 30 people, and in a year's time, three people get saved and baptized, you are a conversion community, and you are a healthy church. How many people have we had more than three, four, five people baptized? 
and give their life to the Lord, okay? So quit stressing. That's statistics. But I believe, like you, that there's more than that. And I want to see the power of Pentecost come upon this church, and I want to see the city of Cleveland flipped upside down. I don't care that there's 386 churches in Cleveland or however many there are now. I don't care. Because if any of them were walking in the power, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. I'm not sliding the 386 some odd churches that there are in Cleveland. I'm just asking, where is the power? I'm not saying that I have it. I'm just asking where it is. I want to see it. I don't want to just have a fancy service. And yes, it's 12 o'clock, and I'm hungry. But I don't want to be more concerned about my stomach than about what God's doing in his house. I've got plans tomorrow. I don't want to be more concerned about my plans tomorrow than what God's doing in his house. And the truth of the matter is, is if God was doing anything in the house, we wouldn't be concerned about those things. I, we treat God like, like the little genie from Aladdin. We do. We treat the Holy Spirit and God like the little genie from Aladdin. You sit here in your lamp, and when I have need of you, I'm going to come and I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to rub the lamp the right way. <laughs> I'm going to rub the lamp. Sorry, I grew up in the 90s. I cannot talk about rubbing a lamp without Britney Spears songs popping in my head. I, I'm just sorry. That was part of my childhood. I can't get it out. And I just hear I'm a genie in a bottle, baby. And I'm like, good Lord. I can't even keep a straight thought. <laughs> anyway, anyway, you're a product of your environment. Anyway. But we treat the, G the Holy Spirit like that. Like, okay, you sit over here, and when I need you, I'm going to come and I'm going to rub the lamp in a particular way. You know, I'm going to, you know, hey, wait up. this song's not working. We're going to sing this song. Okay, hey, God wants me to sing and dance. I'm going to sing and dance. I'm going to get my miracle. And then we put the lamp back where it goes. And we expect to be walking in the miraculous when we treat God like that. God's not a math equation. I've said that. I, have you heard me say that before? Have you heard me say that before? God is not a math equation. And until we stop treating him like one, I don't know if he'll ever stop acting like one. For us, God is a person that wants a relationship with you. But not just to be one among your many relationships. God has to be the center of all of it. It can't be that I'm going to have God, my God box and my you know, spouse box and my kid box and my job box. No, God has to be the all in all and everything else has to fit in that and function and flow through that. Reckless abandon, that's what I see in this. Reckless abandon. And you know what I see in here? Reservation. You know what I see out here? Reservation. You know what I see in every other church I look around? Reservation. I see people concerned about their Louis Vuitton wallet, concerned about their Lexus, concerned about their shoes, concerned about what they're wearing to church, concerned about what so-and-so's wearing to church, concerned about, you know, if she came in, she's wearing a mini skirt, and he came in, and he's wearing a tank top, or his hair's messed up, or she smells bad, or, well, I mean, 
We get so concerned about everything but God, and I'm so sick of it. This is faith's fault. I wasn't planning to go on this tangent. Reckless abandon. Be sold out for Jesus. You remember the words of Paul, one of my favorite passages, Philippians 3. He says, I suffer the loss of all things. And I do esteem them but dumb, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but the righteousness, which is by faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God, which is by faith in Christ Jesus. Oh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable to his death, if that by any means I might attain the resurrection from the dead. Brethren, I count myself not to have attained or apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the prize, the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's not just about what we have or don't have. It's about being sold out completely for Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Yes, ma'am. Amen. Amen. Yes. I don't blame you. I'd want to see my face too. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. It is a a good reminder. It is a good reminder because I preach a message like this to show you some of my frustration. And, And it's just like God to remind me. Sometimes we get caught up in looking at the frustration, but we don't realize that even in this season where we're not seeing the fullness of what we have been promised, God is not idle. He's still answering prayers. He answered prayers. Miss Lisa shared before the service started. He answered prayers for her family. I've watched people in this congregation be healed. Miss Lois Ann testifying about her eyes and her vision being restored. And many of you guys, Brian and him being pulled from the brink of death. God didn't raise the dead, but it was as close as you can possibly get without it being a death certificate. God raised the dead from that situation. So God is still moving and people are still being healed and prayers are still being answered. So I don't want to paint the picture black and leave it black maybe we should end on the note of grace there have been showings tremors of what is to come but I don't believe that it's the fullness of this is all we get to see I believe that there is more to come and I believe that God is going to show himself mighty in our day and in our city in Jesus name amen amen let's let's pray and let's get out of here Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you, God, for blessing us, for pouring your spirit out upon all flesh. I thank you for the promise of your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the power of Pentecost, Lord. And even though I express my frustration and I look around and I don't see the things that I read, and I I just want to see them. Lord, it's not because I'm looking and I'm judging anybody in particular, because I can't judge somebody for not doing what I'm not doing. Lord, I want to see the fullness of your promise in our day. I don't want to see just tremors. I'm thankful for every blessing you pour out. But I don't want it to be just that. I don't want it to end there, God. I want to see the fullness of your glory and your power in this place. I want to see those prayers and those visions answered where the hospitals are bringing people by ambulance to the churches because God is moving in such a way. I want to see people running to the church because there's actually a power and a presence there. Not people running from the church because there's nothing there. Lord, if your power was present, people wouldn't be embracing all this other stuff and running all these other places because they would know that there's something going on. In this book, we just read that there was a notable miracle that no one could deny and an entire city acknowledged. I want that, Lord. I want that. And then I want to say, like Peter said on Pentecost, I want to say, this is that. Lord, I look forward to the day where I can stand up here And say, you guys remember, you guys remember when I was talking in frustration about not seeing the fullness of the promise. Well, guess what? This is that. Lord, I believe. I believe that that's coming. I can echo the words of David. I would have fainted if I had not believed to see the Lord in the land of the living. God, I would faint right now and be done if I did not believe that your power was going to show up in your church. Lord, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Lord, I pray that you expedite our waiting. And I pray that we get to see that that beautiful miracle that initiates a revival. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all are dismissed. God bless.